As you find your seats, please turn me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We have this week and two more weeks and we're done with 1 Peter. Uh, amazingly, it's taken us about a whole year. Uh, your pastor's a little slow, but uh, I've really loved going through this book with you. And once again, it's true every time you teach something, every time you preach something, that it really, uh, it's incredible for the teacher-preacher to go through what God would have you in His Word. And I'm so excited that we've been able to journey together, walk together in faith. And here we go again. We're going to have to walk together. We're going to have to walk together again this morning um, because I'm going to be walking right with you. This morning, if you remember, if you were here last week, I had someone last night say to me, Jeff, I love the fact when you came up to music and you were dancing, you know, and, and uh, last week if you were here, we started off with a little bit of music, a little bit of a dance routine. I was excited about it. Um, we talked about don't worry, be happy, and we talked about the incredible reality last week that we have a God who cares no matter where you are in life right now. And I know that many of you are hurting already. I know that many of you have lugged a lot of baggage into this place and many of you, because of relationships or because of just this world, you're hurting. And last week we looked at the reality that our God cares, and it's so beautiful. And if that was all we had, that'd be phenomenal, but there's more. We looked at the reality that our God not only cares, He relates. Our God, because He became flesh and dwelt among us. This Yes, there's a separation between a Creator and His creation, but our God became one of us, so He relates to us. And we rejoice over that. And not only that, we rejoice over the reality that our God not only cares, He not only relates, but our God's a mighty God. And so we said, don't worry, be happy. What an incredible God we have. He's got a mighty hand. And He can deliver us from anything we have. Well, if you think that that was true, and it is true, and we ponder that and we celebrate that reality, maybe it might lull us to sleep. If we, if we look through life, we say, you know what? we got a God who really cares. And we have a God who's for us and relates to us. And He's, he's going to deliver us. Well, we might want to say, well, therefore, eat, drink, and be happy because our God wins. But right on the heels of that, right on the heels of this such a biblical reminder of that our God is that God who cares and rescues, is a challenge and a cry saying, but watch out. Watch out. Don't fall asleep. Watch out, because of this reality, you have an enemy who wants to take you down, who wants to shred your life, who wants to take everything that you hold near and dear and ruin it. And therefore, be on alert. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, we're reading God's holy and errant word. Peter writes to us, Be of sober spirit, or be self-controlled. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, here we are again, opening your word and begging for Your Spirit to come with power into the preaching of Your Word and into the, this room so that we can understand and so that we can be energized and empowered and equipped to be able to stand firm in the reality of who You are and stand firm in our faith because of grace. And Father, every week I'm amazed that You've given me this great privilege to stand before such a wonderful body 
and to proclaim Your Word. And God, yet You know the truth about me. Father, You know where I fail. And God, I am such a broken vessel. And so Father, would You come and would You forgive my sins? And God, would You speak? We don't need to hear my words. We need to hear Your words. So God, open up our ears to hear from You. And Father, open up our minds to understand Your Word. Father, crush our hearts afresh in a loving way that, God, You'd drive away sin and You'd soften our hearts to receive what You would have for us. Father, empower our feet to walk in a manner or the worthy of the Gospel. And God, give us the grace and the ability and the wisdom this morning to, to put on this full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And we acknowledge with Your Word open as Your people are gathered that the enemy would love to disrupt even the preaching of Your Word. He'd love to distract us. He'd love to confuse us. So Father, bind him afresh this morning. God, the things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true that contain Your Word, God, would You use those things to make us more like Your Son, Jesus. And it's in His powerful name we pray. Amen. Question for you this morning. Is life a battle? Is life as you know it a battle? And I would imagine each one of us would probably slide to the edge of their chairs and say, you bet it is. I mean, there's times when we seem to be more celebrating the spoils of victory. There's times when the battle seems to be more on the back pages of our lives. There's times when we feel like we've overcome and we're okay. But just when we think we have it, or many times in our life, very unexpectedly, bam, we're hit with news. We have a health concern. We're reminded afresh that life is a battle. And what is that battle raging over? The battle, every battle, every fight is a battle over dominion. Listen, every battle, every fight is a battle over dominion. Who is going to reign and rule? Do we not see that in Baghdad? I mean, every day we're reminded painfully, even this morning as, as car bombs have exploded and we read in the paper of lives that were lost. And again, we're reminded that a battle rages over who is going to reign and rule. We recently saw it in our own country last Tuesday as, our, as the states had our election day. What a battle! By God's grace, it was a bloodless battle, but did it not get ugly at times? And what is it a battle over? Who is going to reign and rule? Well, those are battles we can look at. Those are physical battles. But we also have a spiritual battle. A battle who's basically asking this same question, who is going to reign and rule over our lives? It's a battle we can't often see. This is a kingdom battle. But it's a battle that is so true for each one of us. Who, my brothers and sisters, who is going to reign and rule in our lives? Who are we going to bow to as king? Who are we going to rule, allow to rule us and follow? We are in a battle. And every battle that we are in, even a spiritual one, there is an adversary. And so it is true with our spiritual battle. Peter clearly says that we have one who is against us. We have one who hates us. We have one that his joy is to bring us down. His purpose is to rip us to shreds. We have an adversary 
whose name is Satan. And as the hymnist would say, he is armed with cruel hate. And he's crafty. You know, we live in a time, it's kind of a sophisticated time, and, you know, do we really want to talk about evil or personification of evil? I mean, is it, is it really real to talk about a devil or a Satan? But God reveals to us that clearly there is a, a one who is prince of evil. There is one who's against us. And throughout time, we've seen it. Ever since this angel of light rebelled against God, trying to set himself up as God, there has been kingdom battle that has raged ever since. And it is this adversary that would drive us away from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. And it's this adversary, Satan, that is throughout Scripture. But there's such good news. Let's begin with the reality of this. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. He is a vanquished foe. Our God rules. Our God reigns. Our God wins. Yet at the same time, we have a leader who is against us and would love to take us down. Our adversaries will attack us, listen, where we're vulnerable. And, and we often often realize, often I see a bumper sticker will say something like, the devil made me do it. Satan made me do it. Well, there is one that will, will tempt us. There is one that will attack us. But we are so depraved. Sin is a part of our natural nature that on our own, we are prone to follow Him. On our own, we are going to rebel. On our own, we're going to turn from the God who loves us and who has made us. But Satan knows where we are vulnerable. And listen, he wants to attack everything that you and I hold dear. Are you married? He wants to attack your marriage. Do you have children? He wants to attack your children. He wants to attack your church. He wants to attack anything that you and I hold near and dear to us. In any area in which we're vulnerable, he wants to shoot his fiery darts. And Satan seems to have a favorite target. And one of his favorite targets clearly is Christian leaders. Recently we saw in the newspaper and saw through the news Ted Haggard, a pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs, a pastor of a growing, vibrant church of 14,000 people, president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Recently he was added to the list of casualties. Men or women of God who have sustained attacks by Satan and have fallen. But let me remind you, Remember what we sang? Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. It could disqualify us from ministry, and we can blacken the eye of the church, but nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. We've got to remember, remind ourselves that continually. Let me re- read you some statistics. And again, I don't want to make this more about us, but I want to remind you that you've got to pray for us, your pastors and your elders and your leaders. Because he does, Satan does, have, a, have us in his crosshairs, and he loves to take us down. Recently, I was listening to a sermon uh, given by a, a, a gentleman uh, who was at a conference in Seattle, and he gave us some statistics, and let me read some statistics to you about pastors and pastors' wives. And even if these were half true, how alarming are these? Listen, are we in his crosshairs? 1,500 pastors, that's 1,500 pastors, leave the ministry each month Therefore, you've got to take that number, times it by 12 to get a yearly total. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry each month due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contentions in their churches. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 
80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged in their role as pastors. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. Which makes me wonder about our pastors a little bit, you know? I can't do anything else. 80% of seminary and Bible school graduates who enter the ministry will leave the ministry within the first five years. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. Almost 40% polled said that they have had an extramarital affair since beginning their ministry. 70% said the only time they spend studying God's Word when they're preparing their sermons. And listen to the statistics of pastors' wives. 80% of pastors' spouses feel their spouse is overworked. 80% of pastors' spouses wish their spouses would choose another profession. The majority of wives, and this one just stunned me, the majority of pastors' wives surveyed said the most destructive event, the most destructive event that has occurred in their marriage and family was the day they entered ministry. We are in a battle. Clearly, the statistics tell us that. Today, we are remembering the persecuted church. And listen, the persecuted church is every church. Every church that is truly preaching God's Word is a persecuted church. Maybe our persecution isn't as physical as others. Maybe we're persecuted with materialism, selfishness, and affluence. But every church is a persecuted church. And I continually remind myself, listen, if King David, a man after God's own heart, if King David could do what he could do, King David, he committed adultery and he covered it up by committing murder. I'm reminded that all ministers are susceptible to failing. So I'm in this battle too. I stand before you with the great privilege of being called pastor, but you got to know I fight this battle too. And I'm right up front. And I love the realities when I read Peter's words that he knew about this, minute, this battle. Peter knew this battle. Don't forget, he too was a casualty of ministry. And a wounded veteran is always worth listening to. A wounded veteran is always worth listening to. And that's who we have with Peter. A wounded veteran. One that on the highs of ministry knew some incredible highs but also knew some incredible lows. We're going to look at a couple of those things. But the first thing is this. We are in a battle. And because we are in a spiritual battle, we cannot lower our guard. Don't lower your guard. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. You are in a battle. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. The first thing we got to know is this. Don't lower your guard, my brothers or sisters, ever. Again, last week's message was was such a a message to our hearts that God does care and He's with us and He's mighty. And we can say, Yahoo, hallelujah, our God is for us and our God will protect us and our God will lift us up. And maybe we have a tendency, therefore, not to wear our seatbelts. Maybe we have the tendency to say, well, we don't really have to take care of ourselves. We can let our guard down. Our God is the sovereign God of the universe. But even on the height of victory, we got to remind ourselves, don't let your guard down. I love it. The turning point of the Gospels is in Matthew. It's Matthew 16 is the turning point of the Gospels. It's in Matthew's Gospel where he's kind of asking the question, who is this Jesus? And he gets to the point where he gathers his disciples around him and he asks them the question, who does the world say that I am? 
And they start saying, well, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets, you're a good teacher. But he turns to them, and this is the ultimate question that each one of us will always have to face. The ultimate question is this, but who do you say I am? And it was Peter, usually the first to speak, not always the first to think. But this time, he hits it out of the park, unbelievable. Peter, he looks into Jesus' eyes, and because by God's grace, God had, had given them some incredible ability to know this. You know what he said? He says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the one. You are the son of the living God. An incredible statement. And Jesus says, you've got to get it out of the park, Peter, because this, I'm going to build my church on this profession. But if you look at Matthew 16, right after he has this incredible confession saying that Jesus is the Christ, in verse 16, chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 21. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, here's the deal. Peter just has basically said, you're king of kings and lord of lords. You're God almighty. And then Jesus says, you got it, Peter. That's exactly right. Now, let me tell you what's got to happen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to hand me over and I'm going to be tortured and killed. But I'm going to come back to life on the third day. And Peter had a mindset that you don't kill God. And if he is the anointed one, if he's Emmanuel, God with us, he's not going to die. And so Peter starts to rebuke the one he just called God. And listen to what he says. It's amazing. Peter took him aside. Now, Jesus, come over here. I want to talk to you a little bit about here. You know, I know you're like the son of God and Emmanuel and God with us. But let me take you aside and rebuke you. And began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, talk about the quickest mountaintop to the lowest valley and the quickest time. He turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Do we need to have our guard up? Do we need to be reminded? I mean, here he was. He's leaving church. I mean, here he was. He has had the greatest spiritual moment of his life. And yet he's going to be able to say, no, no, Jesus, let me tell you what I want for your life. Let me tell you how I want Jesus to be made in my own image. Don't lower your guard. Peter knows it. He lowered his guard. Jesus turned to him and called him Satan. Be sober. Be sober, have a clear mind, knowing that your enemy is out to get you. Listen, that should keep you sober. One, there's one out there who wants to take you down. If that doesn't keep us sober, what will? I mean, really, I think our nation is a little bit more sober since 9-11. We have a tendency to forget, but we have running across our, our TV screens a reminder to be sober, a reminder when it tells us what the, uh, the uh, uh, threat is, if it's elevated or where it is. But... Listen, Christian, my brothers and sisters, there's one out there that's an adversary. He he wants to take you down. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to destroy your life. Be sober. Keep your mind clear. He's after you. He's after me. He's after this church. Not only that, be alert. Keep a watchful eye, a clear eye. Be alert. Be self-controlled. Peter, or Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 11. He knows that Satan has a scheme. He knows that they're in a spiritual battle. And Paul will say it this way in Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here it is. He's saying this. 
Put on a defensive posture because Satan has a plan, a scheme. He's got a game plan to take you down. Reminder, our, flesh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Ours is a spiritual battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. He says it again in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Put on the armor of God. 5.8, I'm sorry. And it says this, be sober. In 5.8, listen, clear your mind. You're in a battle. Don't forget it. Don't let your guard down for a moment. Don't let it down. Because too many things that are precious to you are in danger. Don't let your guard down. I love it. It says here, be watchful. Be alert. Isn't it interesting that Peter uses the word watchful and alert? Do you think he has any experience personally with this? Let me take you to Luke 22 and let's go to the garden. Remember the meal, the last meal, and then there they are, they're being served by Jesus. He's taken off his, his outer garments, he's washing their feet, he's showing them the most incredible love that's ever been seen. He's demonstrating it for them. They're arguing about who's still greatest. It's unbelievable. And Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to become sin. He knows he's about to surrender his life for sinners like us. And at the end of the meal, he goes through the garden and he takes his three closest friends. He takes James, John, and Peter, and he takes them away from the other 12. So there's nine a little bit farther away, and there's three that are close. And here's what he says to me. He says, my soul is in anguish. Pray with me. Stay and watch with me is the word he says. Be alert. So he says this. Here's what he says. Be alert, Peter. Be alert. So what does Peter do? What many of us do at an extended prayer meeting, we sleep. In verse 39 and verse 22. And he came out and, 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 uh, in verse 40. When they arrived at the place, it says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. I'm sorry, I'm a little ahead of myself. 31. 22 verse 31. As he's asleep. Oh, he hears, by the way. I'm sorry, 31 is where they're arguing who's the greatest. And Peter, does he know about Satan? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Is he in a battle? Good news to know, by the way, Satan has to ask for permission. He's not king of kings and lord of lords. But he goes on to say, could you not watch for even one hour? Could you not stay awake? Could you not watch? It was actually, I am in Luke 22. It's actually, that's clear in Mark 14. Sorry about that. Mark 14, verse 37. Peter's asleep. Jesus goes and specifically says to him, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? I love the beauty of God's Word that here we have a wounded veteran. Here we have one who failed, who couldn't even watch for an hour. One who was sifted like wheat. One who was not sober. And now he's telling us because he's got the battle scars. Because he remembers. And he says, listen, be alert. Be watchful. Satan wants to take you down. Second thing we must realize, we don't feed the lion. Satan is described as a lion, as one who's looking for one to devour. Most recently, I saw some lions in North Carolina at Grandfather Mountain. If you've been to Grandfather Mountain, you know halfway up, they got that little zoo thing, you know, and you can go, you can see some deer, and you can see some bear, and you can see some lions. 
And they have a sign, don't feed the lions. And I guess they didn't want me to throw the fudge that I just had at the lions. Probably wouldn't be a good thing. Maybe there's some dietary issues there. Maybe they're hypoglycemic, I don't know. Pretty good fudge. But it's dangerous. Why is any park that you go to where there's wildlife, why do they have signs that say, don't feed the lions? Because somehow we think sometimes it's cute. I mean, we want to feed the lions and the tigers and the bears, but we don't think that we'll lose anything. Listen, this is what God's Word is telling us. Don't feed the lion. Be pro- proactive. Be proactive in this spiritual battle. Protect your flank. Wherever you are weak, be proactive. This is what it's saying. Satan wants to attack you. He's like a lion. Don't give him anything to eat. Don't feed him. Let's make it specific. If you're wrestling with pornography, okay, don't go anywhere where you're going to be alone with a computer. Put on the full armor of God. If it's a struggle for you, men or women, and you're, you're traveling, when you check into a hotel, say, turn off the junk. If you're susceptible to, to be drunk or you're susceptible to drugs, don't go to a bar. Don't go to a place where that is going to be uh, so accessible to you. Don't feed the lion. If you're susceptible to materialism, cancel some of the catalogs you get. Don't go to the mall. I mean, whatever it is, don't feed the lion that wants to take you down. Not only that, we've got to let our big brother fight our battles for us. In verse 9, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Isn't it kind of cool in God's sovereignty, by the way, that today is the Sunday we remember the persecuted church, and I'm taught, preaching on persecution. Isn't it amazing that right here in verse 10, here Peter's saying, don't forget the world that is suffering too, and what is being accomplished what is being accomplished, my brothers and sisters in Christ? The kingdom of God is being advanced. That there are more people that are hearing about the good news of Christ. The reign and rule of Jesus is going throughout the whole world. There's really good news. He wins. There's really good news. The kingdom will come in fullness. But now He's using us to advance His kingdom. And you ready for this? He's going to use persecution to accomplish the kingdom coming in its fullness. But we got to remember, let our big brother fight our battles for you. Whenever the neighborhood bully shows up, isn't it good to have a big brother around? Isn't it good to have someone else who can whip the bully? Well, that's who we have in Jesus. We have a spiritual big brother in Jesus. And He has, and He will, and He will continue to fight our battles. Jesus won for us a war He won for us a war against His and our adversary. And here's the reality. We could never have won it ourselves. Once we were separated from the Father because of sin, we ushered in death. We ushered in separation from God. We could no longer defeat our enemy. We didn't have the ability. We didn't have the strength. We now had His nature. We were now kicked out of God's presence. But there was a battle that needed to be won that only God Himself could win. Our big brother has won it. 
And the beauty of God's Word, it starts in Genesis 3, verse 15, is the first promise that God is going to provide the big brother. God is going to provide the one who will come and secure victory for us. The greatest victory that we could ever taste. The victory that we need the most. Jesus has won for us. How did He do it? How did God obtain this victory for us? He came like us. He became man. He took on flesh. And He went toe-to-toe with Satan. That's why we see in all four of the Gospels, he's tempted. He went toe-to-toe with Satan, tempted in every way. He knew all of our temptations because he was fully man. And yet, without sin, our big brother won. Where we failed, where Ted Haggard failed, where Jeff Jakes fails, where King David fails, Jesus won. And because He won, because He's without sin, He could go to the cross as the spotless sacrifice for us. And unbelievably, you ready for this? He would become all the spoils of our sin. He'd become marred and ugly and broken. And it would look like Satan would win. But that empty tomb, that empty tomb, we have a big brother who whipped Satan. Who went toe-to-toe. And he's earned for us a victory that we cannot lose. Was Jesus sober and alert? <laughs> his whole, his whole, throughout eternity he has been, but his 33 years on earth, his whole life was filled with being sober and alert. Sober knowing exactly that he came to seek and to save sinners like you and me. Sober and alert to know that it would cost him his very life. Alert to know that he had an adversary that didn't want him to come to the cross. He was alert enough to know that even one of his closest friends, Peter, could fall into temptation. He'd have to say, get behind me, Satan. We have one who's obtained victory for us because he was sober and alert. Because he did resist Satan. He crushed Satan's head. And now we stand in his victory. We can't miss this. This is so important. Listen, we're going to say we're in a spiritual battle. We're going to say He's going to attack everything that we hold precious. But we can't miss the fact, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have surrendered, who stand in faith, we have victory we can't lose. Is that not amen? Is that not incredible? Listen, I might disqualify myself from ministry, and heaven forbid I say, God, take me home. I would rather die than disqualify myself from ministry. But at the same time, by God's grace, I stand on grace. I don't stand on my morality. I don't stand on my record. I stand on His. There's nothing that will separate me from the love of God. Christian, that's us. Nothing. There's times where He's an accuser. He wants to tell you that you've blown it again. He wants you to look in the mirror and says you can't win this battle. He wants to continually remind you, you're still struggling with that? I mean, aren't you supposed to be farther down the road than that? Say, I have victory in Christ. That is how we fight this battle. Our big brother has won, and now he's given us the will to fight. He who is in us, Christian, is greater than that is in the world, Satan himself. Daily, there's going to be a battle. I wish I could tell you you're going to have a day off coming up. You're not. Daily, you're going to be a battle. Be ready to fight. And the times, he's got to be smart enough to flee. Paul will say to young Timothy, a young pastor in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee! Flee the youthful desires of your lusts. Flee. And sometimes part of our fighting the enemy, yes, we have a will to fight, but we also got to know, be smart enough to know when to run. Listen, I can't tell you that enough. Right now, some of you are, are locked in some darkness. And you don't want anybody to know. You have a victory in Christ that's yours. But listen, don't stay there. Flee. 
Get out. Put on that full armor of God. Talk to somebody. If you need to, if you need to flee, run. Having the faith to fight. You see, here's the whole deal. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Isn't it beautiful? What does he tell us to do? I mean, it's, a, it's, 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 it's so consistent, but it's almost comical. Resist him in your faith. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say resist him in your strength. Resist him in your knowledge. Resist him by going with him and wrestling with him. Resist him in your faith in Christ Jesus. Resist him by quoting God's word as Jesus himself did. And, and resist him by standing firm, putting on the full armor. But listen, here's the bottom line. This is all we got. I got Jesus. I'm carrying in the arms of faith to my Father every day, Jesus. Stand firm in your faith. He wins. Stand firm in the faith. He rules. Stand firm in His faith. He reigns. That's where we stand. On by God's grace, we stand firm in our faith. I so thankful He doesn't say, listen, you, you better suck it up. You better, you better do it right. You better have the right gift mix. No. It's not about you, Jeff. This is a battle you can't win. But I've won for you. And now I'm going to ask you to stand in your faith. Stand firm. Stand up like a big, big guy. Stand. Because you're mine. You stand on grace. Don't forget, you stand only because of my unmerited favor. But that's where you stand. Having the perspective to fight. Christians all around the world, we've got to have that. We gotta, sometimes when suffering comes, when battle comes, it makes us tunnel vision. Sometimes we think we're the only ones, you know? Oh, man. But we've got to realize that this is a kingdom battle. And it is a kingdom battle over who is going to reign and rule. And Jesus is. Listen, such good news. Jesus is going to reign and rule. He is right now. There's a day coming in its fullest. Jesus is going to reign and rule. And now we have the privilege of His children of continually daily surrendering our lives to His reign and rule. And then going to this world saying, Submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the safest, greatest thing you could ever do. That's a perspective. And we join into a battle that the world is fighting. There is a battle the world is fighting right now. It is a spiritual battle. Who is going to have rule and reign over the world? Listen, there's no doubt Jesus is. Even right now He is. And it's advancing. And amazingly part of His A plan, it's us. It's us. Wherever you are, whatever neighborhood you find yourself, whatever workplace you find yourself in tomorrow, whatever stage in life as a student, wherever you are, your call, my call, is to submit ourselves to the rule and reign of God and to bring that rule and reign wherever we go. And to proclaim that victory that Christ has proclaimed. What an incredible weekend uh, Central Florida had for volleyball. Uh, Winter Park High School won their third consecutive girls volleyball championship. Wow. Back to back to back. Lake Highland won their second back to back state championship. And there's a little Christian school named Orangewood that won their second back to back state championship yesterday as well. Don't clap for Winter Park or Lake Highland. <laughs> Just kidding. But you know, I really wish that I knew the outcome of the game before I went. I didn't like sitting there the whole time. I mean, I'm telling you, I wanted to vomit. I mean, it went to five games. 
it was, it was incredibly back and forth, and, and I was on the edge of my seat, and you know, who's going to win, and what's going to be the outcome, and what's going to happen. But you know what? If I knew who was going to win going into that game, I would have watched the game a whole lot differently. I would have enjoyed it. I would have been able to sit there and say, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, that was a bad play. And, oh, we gave a point over there. and Uh-oh, looks like we lost momentum. But I know who won. I know who's going to win. I'm going to be able to sit here and say, I know no matter what battle we find ourselves in, that eventually at the end, it's going to say Orangewood State Champs. Christian, no matter what battle you find yourself in, no matter where you are in life, you don't have to live your life wondering, am I going to win? Because in Jesus, in Jesus, we won. And now we know no matter what the adversary throws at us, no matter what he uses to trip us up, at the end of the day, we are going to be able to taste the spoils of victory because we win in Christ. Jesus has defeated our enemy for us. Yes, he is cruel. Yes, our enemy is powerful. Yes, he is a foe, but he's a vanquished foe. He can wreak havoc in our lives, but he cannot win the war. We have a mighty fortress in our God. We have a God who wins. And therefore, no matter what battle we find ourselves, we win too. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank You for this incredible good news. The incredible good news that as we find ourselves in the battles of life and as we are reminded of the, of the scary reality that there is One who is an adversary against us. There's One who would love to take us down. There's One who hates us and wants to destroy everything we love. But there's One who loves us who is greater. And His name is Jesus. Jesus, we thank You for the victory that You have won for Your Father and for Your sheep and the spoils of victory that we can taste even now. We thank You, God, that You are a mighty fortress, a mighty fortress that battles with us and guarantees us victory. Father, may we battle well for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.